everyone, this is Tony Holbein from Groblox. You are listening to the Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're getting Kevin Dorsey or KD to share how to build a top performing sales team. Enjoy. So, so Miko, we intro, have, intro, intro. Yeah, yeah, we have we have an American on the show. And the most natural thing is to talk about uh, the Danish national sport, handball. Oh wow, because, you saved that one up. Because wow. yesterday, Denmark was in the final uh, mm. for the European Championship yeah. for the I think fifth time. They never lost, never lost up against the arch nemesis France. And uh, basically, me and my wife were like, we're the kids, and yeah, we're gonna watch it together. And then it goes into overtime, and we just have to put the kids to bed because tomorrow's Monday, school night, you know, they have to be ready to kind of be manageable for the parents' sake. And then we put the kids to bed, really hurry and rush through it. And then I come back to the TV, and I literally just watched France score the final goal. That means Denmark lost for the first time ever. And I was just, oh, you lost? That was a really depressing experience. I thought this was going to go into how you beat Germany just last week and you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> well, that was, was going to make a see... joke about like, oh, handball, what a great national sport. Is it right yeah, next yeah. to curling or what? what is it you guys do? And I can see Katie probably think handball. Yeah. Really? Exactly. So we have a guest <laughs> and I just wanted to point out the reason I made this segue, by the way, yeah. is, uh, so I mentioned it, they've been in the final and never lost. So they've been in the final this team four times previously and won all the I games. Think, I think you made that point. They're yeah. consistently high performance. Performing. Oh, there you go. And we want to talk about top performers with someone who I believe is also a top performer, Kevin Dorsey, KD. Uh, we can call you, uh, we figured out we can call you quite by a few names. You respond by anything. Uh, so pleasure to have you. Welcome, KD. Hey, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be here, y'all. It's always fun. I love talking about these things and I love, let's call it like two, three step analogies. Like I love a good <laughs> out there segue. <laughs> comes back 10 minutes later so i'm sure i'll find a way to reference handball at another point yeah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen but so you're uh currently svp at bench so that's like an accounting company software service Mm -hmm. i believe yep yeah so uh, we we help we help smb businesses do their books so like bookkeeping taxes you know accounting you know financial insights you know no one no one likes to do their books no one likes to do taxes You know, but it's foundational to to do. So we make that much easier. And massive, massive market, massive mm-hmm. market. Obviously, kind of who doesn't know, uh, Katie, you know a lot about selling. You have a lot of like sales awards. You have, you know, some tenure at Winning by Design, which I think a lot of our listeners actually uh, know about pretty, pretty Seen nicely. some videos probably. Um, and you have scaled a bunch of teams from zero to, I don't know, sometimes it's zero to 100, but zero to 150 plus, right? So this is... Not just, oh, wow, Katie knows how to select, you know, one or two good salespeople. No, it's kind of Katie knows how to build the structure and the framework um, that makes people successful, especially on the on the sales side, right? And I think, Katie, when you and I got talking, I've, we started talking about the, what do you call it, the the west side of the bow tie, uh, which mm-hmm. is basically, basically what we want to, you know, focus on today, specific on the sales piece, actually. So, um, so yeah, what, let's what you're saying it. is we're going to take customer success and put that to the side for like now. yeah like we're, you know like everyone that. is seeing that yeah. usually but yeah, anyway <laughs> so i think the the first step maybe just to mm-hmm. kind of i'm going to prompt Katie now mm-hmm. is to also understand the those reps who really perform in the top top percentile what sets them apart from the rest and i would love to hear that from you because i know you've worked with so many great sales folks over the time um so just love to hear your take on that yeah so i mean we could spend the full 
hour on what separates them, but I'll try to bucket it down, right? Because there's a few things, right? If I look at, you know, I've now hired well over a thousand reps, you know, in, in my career. And you look at these one percenters, the things that really separate them, I'll start one is just consistency. They're mm -hmm. consistent. You don't see these highs and lows from them. You don't see like they blow out one quarter and have a like they are consistent. Their pitch is very consistent. Their follow up is very consistent. Their activity like they do the same things really, really well. There's not nearly as many ebbs and flows from them. So that's one big thing that the best do better than anyone else is there's never this foot off the gas. It's mm -hmm. like they go. And they go. But what's interesting, too, about them is they're also not I wouldn't describe them as sprinters. Like when you watch the best do what they do, they make it look effortless. They're, they don't look like they're grinding their face off. They don't look like they're like they're just consistent with it, where it's not these ebbs and flows. So that's one big thing that I don't think people call out enough on top performers is the mm -hmm. consistency of it Two, They treat their career like a career. Like they, they, they consider themselves a professional at what they do. And salespeople, they don't approach this career as professionals for the most part. They really don't. If you think about like what other high earning professionals have to do, doctors, lawyers, scientists, engineers, like it is regimented and it is strict and there is education and there is practice and there are rules and there are all these things. The best hold themselves to that level of professionalism. They're prepared for their day. They take good notes. They are planning out their week, quarter, and year. They study their industry. They study the personas that they sell to. They know the intricacies and the trends. They study psychology. Like Those are the things that the best also do that then allow them to apply it to their role. right? Whereas you have a lot of reps out there that are just winging it. They just show up and they, they hope. Right. They, they hope it's going to go well. Yeah. They hope they can just be charismatic enough to drive the deal down. Whereas the best, yeah, they're methodical. Like they're just, they're just almost, almost scientific with it. Where it's like the, the smallest nuances they are prepared for. And I just love that. I love both of those points, by the way. Thank you for that. So the, the, the trick is obviously, and I think we talked about this even kind of before we kind of hit record here. It's, there's one thing to creating top one sales reps or kind of finding those folks and, and really using them to drive the business forward. And I think there's lots of content around that also, right? How do you train those folks and all of that stuff? But it's a whole other question when you think of it, you know, more from a sales leader or CRO perspective, like, well, how can I create, I don't want to say a machine, but how can I create a structure? How can I create something that not only finds those guys or and girls, but really gets them to this point where they're seeing, okay, those consistent results, don't those consistent behaviors and the seriousness that they're bringing to the job. How do you, how do you, you know, give sales leaders a playbook to generate those top sales, uh, top one percent sales reps? Mm -hmm. Right. So I, it's actually this is, I don't know if this will be a controversial take or whatever. I don't care about the one percenters. And what I mean by that is they are one percenters because they are one percenters. I've never made a one percenter. I've mm -hmm. gotten one percenters on my team and given them the tools to do what they do, but I can't look and be like, I made them a one percenter. There's, there's a different level to this, right? 
I'd like Kim Scott talked about this actually in her book, um, Radical Candor, like the difference between a superstar culture and a rock star culture. Right? Mm -hmm. Superstars are a rare breed. It's actually why I think sales is so jacked up is everything's built around trying to find these superstars when superstars are the minority, right? My job as a leader is to diagnose what those one percenters do to the most granular detail so I can bring that to the rest of the team. Right. So one percenters in a lot of ways, I'm like, as long as they are not breaking the rules, cutting corners, it's like, do what you do. But I'm going to study everything about you. Right. This is actually how you scale it to a, a team is like, so we do this. Like, so we'll get into intricacies. Here. Yeah. Well, one, we have an acronym, right, that I'm starting to get some trash around called the wiggle. Right. So the wiggle stands for W-G-L-L, which is what good looks like. Most orgs actually don't know what good looks like. They don't know why Tony is number one. They don't know why, right? And if you ask them, like, oh, because they work hard. The top one percenters, we know this, produce anywhere from two to eight times more than the rest. They're not working eight times harder than the, you literally can't work eight times harder. They're eight times better than the rest, right? So where I focus in my orgs when I first come in is I'm studying the wiggle, what good looks like, who are my best? I'm going to break down. Who do they target? How do they talk? What's their disco sound like? What are the questions they ask? How do they handle objections? What's their pitch sound like? I'm going to break that pitch into seven or eight different places of like, how do they approach them? What's in their follow-up? How do they write their, e like I dissect it, right? Because now I can take it and scale it out. Right, so you go from the wiggle to the four Ds. So it goes the wiggle, what good looks like, to the four Ds, which is define, document, demonstrate, and deliberately practice. Mm -hmm. right? So now I know this is how Tony runs discovery, and he's one of my best. So what I'm doing there is I'm like, okay, here's what he's doing, define. Okay, why I think it works. Okay, he's asking this question because it leads to this, and he does this here to go from this. So I'm defining what good looks like. That I'm going to document it. I'm going to write it down, right? I'm going to put it on a piece of paper. I'm going to create the scorecard for it. I'm going to create the prompts for it. Then we're going to demonstrate it. I'm going to pull up your calls. We're going to do trainings around it. We're going to get snippets around how you do these things. And then we do the fourth D, which is deliberately practice it, right? I believe any skill can be developed to the 80%, right? Mm -hmm. I can, like, you know, Mikhail, like, I, if you're a one percenter, I can't make everyone a one percenter like you but I can get them to within 80% of you. That can be taught, right? I can capture that and I can level up the whole, whole thing. So I, I always, I use this as an, an example because it's just one of the most straightforward ones. So every quarter, my, my managers, my directors, we do what's called study greatness. So every quarter, let's sign out a metric. Like, all right, Tony, you've got ACV. Mikhail, you've got show rate, whatever. You've got the metric. You have to go find who was the top performer in that and you have to study them. Can you understand why their metric was good, right? So we have a, a phrase that we use, if you can't explain, you can't claim. So if I can't explain why this person's the best, I can't claim them. You know, like I can't claim that success. I can't say that was me if I can't explain why they were good. So we, we did this one, I don't know, actually my last company, um, this was an easy one. So one of our reps had a significantly higher ACV than everybody on the team by a good like 30 some percent. So Jess Strickland, one of my directors and now VP, like I was like, you've got, you've got Julia. Go tell me why her ACV is 30% higher than everybody else. 
So he goes in, listens to a bunch of like her pricing calls. So he goes through her proposals, da, da, da. comes back. He's like, bro, I got it. I know what she does. The way she's presenting pricing, she's presenting it as a package, right? So it'll be, you know, $74,000 for all of this. Whereas most of the team was like, okay, you know, this will be 5,000, this will be 6,000, this will be 2,000, whatever else. So he goes back and he's like, she presents it as a package. So what do you think we did? Okay, so we took that. We defined this is how we do pricing. We demonstrated, we took five of her calls. She helped lead some trainings on it. We documented it. We built a scorecard for pricing and we practiced it for a quarter. What do you think happened to ACV for the entire team? And when I say entire team, at this point, I had over 60 closers on the team. What do you think happened to ACV for the entire team, y'all? Loaded question, but I love it. It's going to go up. It, it went up by <laughs> 20%. 18, very close, right? There you go. So did we get it to Julia's 30% for everybody? Hmm. No, but an 18% increase of ACV across 60 closers. Hmm talking millions of dollars in additional revenue across the board, all because of studying greatness. You find out what good looks like the wiggle four D's, and then you put it into your team. So I'll pause there, but like, that's the system I run across the very, board. Very tactical follow-up on that one. You know, did you also look at, okay, maybe she's a higher ACV and you know, the show is called the revenue formula, which is like ACV is part of it, but then there's a couple of other pieces in there as well. Did you also look at, you know, how she's converting, how long it takes, you know, these things maybe kind of balance each other out, yes or no, kind of yes. would love to hear, you know, how you really dissected the whole thing, because mm -hmm. another explanation can sometimes also be, um, oh, yeah. oh she got be bigger inbounds, bigger yeah. enterprise, different industries and so forth. Yeah, when we, when we say study greatness, we mean study greatness. <laughs> So like, there's like a, like a checklist in there. Um, I just got a screenshot. I could pull one up where it is. Like you're looking at the industry. You're looking at the personas. You're looking inbound, outbound. You're looking at referral. You're looking mm -hmm. at touches per lead. Like it's like we're really diagnostic so we can eliminate, okay, this is the cause. Because to your point, there are times, and this happens, where you have this top, this literally happened at my, you know, yeah, whatever, screw it. So at my current <laughs> company, right, came in. And we had a rep, right? That was just blowing everybody else out of the water, just blowing them out of the water, right? So study greatness time, let's go. So I go in and I'm trying to like listen to these calls and like I listen to like 10 or 15, I'm like, I don't, it's, it's not that good. Like how, like how is he doing this, right? Like he, he's not that good. He doesn't sound that great on the phones. Like what's going on here? And so we start like, you know, dabbling and perusing around Long story short, eventually found out that is because he was given away invalid discounts. Like basically he was cheating the system at the end of the process. It literally led to a termination because of what was happening there. And it all happened not because of a witch hunt, but because of studying greatness. To your point, we listened and it's like, this isn't what's causing it. Something else must be causing this, right? My sales leaders, as much as you like to think it's an excuse, sometimes a territory does suck. Sometimes it does suck. You've got this rep over here succeeding. You have this rep over here and their calls are the same. The follow-up is the same. Their skill set is the same. Then you need to go another layer deeper and be like, well, yeah, they've got more ICP fits in their territory or they are generating two times more inbounds from their territory than this person. Like you have, you know, the, the phrase I use often is aim small, miss small. Like you need to know to the most granular detail what's causing success and what's causing the miss. I actually just tend to spend more time on what's causing success. 
I can spend all day focused on like what's causing a miss. I want to know to the smallest detail what's causing success because that's my job as a leader is to scale success. My job is not to fix what's broken. That's actually like my managers and my director's job. It's my job to scale success for this org. And I need to know the smallest detail what success looks like. So we could spend a lot more time on the, the I think you call it wiggle. Um, and then he went to the four Ds, right? And, you know, maybe I'm going to jump now a couple of things here, but one one of the things that might be stuck in, you know, people's heads here is like, oh, okay, cool, uh, analytical guy, analytical process, um, but with the sales brain attached and, and really kind of scanning the whole thing, understanding it. Then you distill it down into, you know, what's the difference, right? You know, what is that person doing differently or what is that team do, doing differently? And then you go into the practicing, you know, demonstrating practice mm -hmm. or... Deliberate practice or deliberate any practice. Yeah, demonstrate uh, is the training. Yeah, deliberate there you practice go. is like you actually have to practice. It. So that's actually kind of my my next point, right? Kind of the the rollout of that. I think a lot of people are screwing this up. Honestly, I I don't think people have this great structure that you just mentioned there. Don't get me wrong. I think that's super valuable. But a lot of people struggle with actually rolling it out and make it stick. What's your What's your experience there? How do you How do you achieve these things? And how do you follow up? And you know, instead of building one improvement and then next quarter you build another improvement and then they already forgot about last quarter's improvement. How do you make them kind of add up instead of just replacing each other? Yeah. Well, so because most, you're fairly, first of all, most orgs have not actually defined what good looks like. So it's really yeah, hard okay, to make this true. Day. They haven't documented it. So if it's not documented, the reps can't reference it. They've never actually demonstrated it. They just tell people what to do, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not an example to follow and then they never practice it. So those four Ds are the foundation on why most people never achieve it is because they don't follow them. But that yeah. last D in particular, right? The deliberate practice, okay? I told you I was going to come back to it. How long is a handball match? How long is a handball match? <laughs> I don't like an hour. Know. An hour. Is it an hour? An hour? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, an hour. Did you play, Mikhail? Did you play handball? No, 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 unfortunately not. Okay. But we can still play this game, right? We're talking about an hour, right? Hour. Okay. How many hours a week do those players practice for that one hour match? Oh, it's crazy. I I, I think like six to eight hours probably. But they, I right. mean, they, I mean they, per, day, per day, per day, per day. Sorry. There you go. Yeah, probably something day. like that. So six to eight hours a day of practice for that one hour match. Now to get to the, um, the uh, we weren't talking about Olympics, but call it the national championships. How many years? have they been practicing to get to that level? I'm going to say 20 at least. Okay. Y'all see where I'm going with this right now? This is what I mean around salespeople and sales leaders don't treat their job as a profession. Okay. Six to eight hours of practice a day for decades to become the best at what they do. Right. So Tony, that's like why it doesn't stick is because people don't practice it. If you practiced it for 90 days, you'd be shocked at how well it stuck. But what happens is people just tell people what to do. Hey, run disco this way. The reps are like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and then, definitely. right, because y'all like, can imagine this. So I was, I was athletic in high school and in college, right? What would happen if I walked out to that handball what is, pit? I don't know what they call it, right? <laughs> Floor, whatever. What would happen if I just walked out there? I was like, hey, y'all, I'm ready to play. How long would it take for me to get good if all I did was play the game against professionals? 
Well, my first thought, you were going to get injured, but I have no right. clue. It's yes. going to take you quite, <laughs> quite some I will time. Get hurt. <laughs> I'm going to get my ass kicked. I'm probably going to give up on the game because I'm yeah. not good enough, right? There is no other sport profession where this mindset is okay of I'm just going to get good in the game. But that's what happens in sales is we teach people things and we go put them into the game. The game is not practice. The game is where your practice pays off. The game is not practice. That's why it doesn't stick is because you have people you know, that's me walking onto the handball court, trying to learn as I go. That's exactly how reps and leaders are doing yep. this. Is they'll teach a rep something, then they'll put them on a call with a CTO or a CRO and say, go apply what we just talked about. That's that's the missing sauce. That's why it sticks or does not stick for most teams is because they don't actually practice it. They just go into the game and they try to wing it. How is then the job description of a let's say a sales leader changing because to a degree, the reason why this whole thing exists is what he just pointed out there, right? It's, um, it's that this approach, it's not, it's not the normal way of doing it. I think a lot of people would in fact hire winning by design to come in and do some of that stuff for like the 90 days and then, you know, they're out again. Or number two would maybe hire like a sales enablement person, uh, maybe to kind of to do some of these things or maybe, you know, find some, some of your wonderful content, But, you know, how does that, because the way you talk about this, this is not an outsourced anything. This is, this is core competency of a, of a sales manager, of a sales director and so forth, right? Yeah. You can't outsource this. The only, the only thing you can truly outsource would be the training. Hey, we need new ideas and topics and tactics to come in. That's the only thing that you can outsource, right? Like if you're not sure how to do good messaging or you need a methodology, bring in a winning by design, bring in a challenger, bring, you can bring that in. That's the only thing you cannot outsource practice and development. You cannot outsource scaling greatness. You cannot outsource the four D's, right? That poor person working in an enablement, right? Like, and I love enablement. And by the way, enablement always reports directly to me. Always. They do not report to L and D. They do not report anywhere else. Enablement always rolls to me directly, right? And that's actually to give them the backing they need. Because my enablement people, if you're listening, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Oftentimes, the sellers don't listen to enablement. Yep. They don't, they don't even listen. So enablement works for a whole quarter to develop this training, and then they do it, and the reps either don't show up, or they show up and their cameras are off, and then they don't even apply it. It's like enablement doesn't have like the leg to stand on too often. But also, too, enablement leaders, I'll just call you out real quick. Have you actually studied greatness? Have you, like, yeah. do you know what the best reps do on the team? Because if you don't, this, this happened with my own team, right? This is why I talk passionately about this, because I live this. Like, I, I'm in it. I experience it still day in and day out. This was two quarters ago. We were starting to develop, you know, our, our scorecard process for enablement. And I asked my enablement team, I was like, when's the last time you listened to a call? And I got the exact same pause And look oh, no. right there. I was like, <laughs> no. how on earth could you be trying to teach this team if you don't even know what the best do? Right? So enablement oftentimes is so far connect disconnected that they can't even teach people what good looks like because they haven't studied it them themselves. But this becomes cultural. Like my teams practice daily. And I don't care if it's SMB or this is always my funny thing. People talk about like, what's well, enterprise. So like 
forever. It's like, oh, because the big deals are easier. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. The deals that are multiple seven figures, we don't need to practice with those because those are the easy deals. It's the fat. Like back to your point on the one percenters, the, the one percenters in enterprise, oh man, tell me they didn't practice their pitch. Like they had every scenario planned out. They were prepared for it. They had their story and their POV and they knew how to, they weren't in there just winging it. Right. So like, that's, that's the thing is this becomes cultural top down. This is what we do. You have, again, it's really hard to practice if you haven't done the four D's because people are just, what are they doing for practice? They're just kind of, again, winging it managers. This is where they're putting their time and focus, right? If you 15 minutes of every one-on-one revolves around practice and they have another 30 to 40 minute session per rep per week dedicated to a specific skill that they are working on. Right. And then that's what my directors are holding the managers to. I'm holding my directors to that level to ensure that the manager practice is paying off and it all connects through and through. I actually think almost this practice is so such an underappreciated advice because especially now things are just changing. You're seeing the CFO in deals all of a sudden. And if you haven't trained how to tackle that person, he or she is going to care about very different things. So I think mm -hmm. this is super, super applicable. You kind of mentioned another thing I want to double back to here. You mentioned sales enablement, right? So usually when, when you're operating a team, part of it is, you know, the team players, how they operate, but also how, how you enable them and the operations around them. How, like what, what are kind of some of the things you need in place, not just sales enablement, you also have marketing potentially supporting, right? And the product team building stuff and so on. So what are some of the th things that, uh, you know, supporting functions you, you also want to take care of? Mm -hmm. So enablement for sure, right? Of making sure that they are very closely attached to what good looks like. That's who's doing the four D's for me, right? Is like, cause there, there are times where enablement may not know what makes the rep good. Like they're listening and maybe they just can't capture, right? Or they're not going deep enough to understand like the subtle nuances, right? Tony, you were mentioning like, is it because of their pitch or is it because of, you know, the territory or whatever else? So enablement's really focused on the four D's for me. Then I have to leverage ops to do the other side of it, right? So my sales ops team, right? I need the data to support who is number one, right? How do I know like they're number one? What's that margin? Are there any outliers, right? So a company I'm working with right now, I took them through this exercise and they found the outlier, right? They, oh, like this person's ACV was like really, really high. When in reality, it's because they closed one $2 million deal, but the rest of their deals are actually below average. So what they were trying to study as greatness was actually not greatness. The rep just got lucky, right? <laughs> and brought up their whole average, right? So I lean on ops for the data side, right? Touches per lead, speed per lead, time in stage, conversion rates, conversion by stage, right? So my ops team is very closely connected to my enablement team, the data, right? Called the art and the science. I got the science, right? From ops and I've got my enablement team with more of the, the art. And then I work very closely with marketing for a few things. The, the primary place actually I love to work with marketing is actually objection handling. Right. So what are the top objections my team is getting? I'm going to marketing to get collateral and content created to help handle those objections. Right. All right. I need a lot of pricing, um, like handling of like stories of why people thought the price was worth it. I need more content to support like the CFO's conversations versus the CTO conversations. So I work very closely with marketing on collateral. Um, the other place I leverage marketing, not to go down this rabbit hole, but like for, for copy, 
So not to write my copy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I want to know. So I, I want to know from marketing what are highest performing blog articles, what are our long term um, long, long one more time, long tail keywords, like what are the highest search volumes, what are our highest click through rates, what are our headlines? Because that tells me and helps me write better emails. Because it tells me what people are searching for in the market. So if I know what people are searching for, then I know I can use that very similar language going outbound as well of like if people are searching for xyz that's going to make great subject lines great for sentences in the email right so i leverage marketing for the data because marketing has data on what people do when there's not a person involved i want that data and then we give marketing the data when a person's involved what are people saying what are the most common objections right and so i work very closely um cross-functional with them I had one thing, and again, we're kind of jumping a That's little okay. bit, a little bit back end. Sorry, Michael. He's kind of the back on track guy. Um, <laughs> so we are we are rolling this out. We're practicing it. We are we are altering the existing process to a degree. And you also mentioned, you know, SMB versus mid market versus enterprise, and they're kind of different different expectations almost around this. One of the things that I've seen a lot myself is. At least in Europe, it's it's very heavily the case. In the US, it may be different. But people are reacting very allergic to scripts or like demo structures or stuff like that, right? But then on the other side, well, if you don't have at least a little bit of a framework, how are you going to go in and provide feedback? How are you going and change things in there? How do you how do you manage that? Do you just like, hey, this is the script and you need to kind of run by this? Or how do you, how do you, you know even roll this out in order then to add the additions later on. Yeah, I'll say it's a combination of two things, right? So scripts are always so funny to me because, you know, people will say things like it makes them sound robotic or it doesn't sound natural, right? And I always counter with like, okay, so have you ever seen a movie before? <laughs> have you ever watched a show on TV? Have you ever listened to a song on a radio, gone to a live? performance uh they were all scripted yeah. all of them every why is nobody leaving taylor swift's concerts right now going i could tell that was scripted <laughs> even though she's given the damn near same performance like a hundred times now and so what i tell people it's like the script doesn't sound anything right you sound robotic the script doesn't sound anything. It's our job to make it come alive first, right? So like one, I counter there. It's like our jobs to make this come alive. That's literally, we are the performer in this. Second, everyone uses a script. It's actually not even a conversation of whether or not people use scripts. It's whether we agree to what the script should be. Because if I go to a top performer, Tony, and I say, hey, how do you handle blank? Mm -hmm. What am I literally asking you for? Like everyone uses a script. It's just whether or not we agree to what the script should be. That's why I'm building my scripting off what some of the best are doing because it makes it very hard to argue. Because like literally this is what our best do. So let's learn it. But then where I go with this is the script to me, I consider like a recipe. So if I'm making a pizza, there's certain ingredients that I need to make a pizza. I need dough. I need sauce. I need cheese, okay? Now, the moment I take one of those ingredients away, it's no longer a pizza. If there's no sauce, it's not a pizza. If there's no cheese, it's not a pizza. And there's no dough, there's no, there's no pizza. 
Now, if Mikel, you want to throw jalapenos on there, throw some jalapenos on there. You want to load up mushrooms and onions over here. It's like if you want to make the recipe more yours, that's fine. But you cannot remove the ingredients of success. Right. So that's how I focus on scripts and frameworks is like, here's the script and the framework of what we know. Like, we know this works. We know this works. We practice it to get the tone and the delivery right. Because anyone can read. Right. It's not like the practice is actually about getting the tone right. Because then if you have the fundamentals down, that's actually what allows you to have more of a free flowing combo because you're not thinking. You know most of the things that you need to say and navigate, and you don't have to think about it. Whereas if you're thinking, you miss out on it. So that's how I approach scripts is like scripts should be based off best practices. They should be frameworks to follow and achieve. You can add your flavor, add your sauce, but you can't remove ingredients because once you remove the ingredient, the likelihood of success goes down. And when you entered Bench, and I'm not sure how sophisticated they were already, but was that actually one of the you know, your first check marks there, kind of when you assess the opportunity, probably even like, hey, do they have something like this in place? And if not, well, it's the first thing I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the latter there, a lot of this was not in place. There was no documentation of what good looks like, what was being taught in enablement had nothing to do with what was happening on the floor. Like a lot of that was in place. And that was where a lot of it started. And kind of taking this one step further, because you said that, you know, previously, you know, yourself, and I'm just picking up on this, all of this, all of this sounds super smooth in delivery, by the way. I love that. Uh, but it also sounds a bit more sciencey than it is artsy, right? Yeah. Um, and there's always this big debate, and especially on LinkedIn, and it's like, oh, it's both and so forth. What's your take on that? Is that, you know, where are you leaning on this balance? And is there a balance? And how do you, how do you think about this? Yeah. It's always so fun. I love this topic. It's like if people understood how much science went into art, they'd stop asking the question. <laughs> Right? Like, like, it's like, if you listen to music, art, are there specific notes and frequency that sound better together? Science. It's the application of science that makes the art. Paintings, right? The, you have the, the focal point of like where it should be yeah. in the art and what colors and shadows go together. It's all angles and color, like science in the art. Right. So it's it's to me, they're very, very well blended. It's just science. I've, I've never actually said it this way. It would be the first time. It's scientifically understanding the art. Mm -hmm. That's what I think this is, is I want to take a scientific approach to the art of sales. This is my best is a performer and I love it. Can I scientific go through the scientific method? of that art to diagnose and document what it is that I think is leading to those results. And then you apply it scientifically, you practice it artfully. It's a combination of both. They are completely intertwined, especially, and I'll, I'll call this out. You know, you said a lot of your listeners, you know, 10 million, 15 million trying to grow. You can ride the backs of superstars to seven to 10 million. You cannot ride the backs to superstars to 100 million. You have to have a system in place, right? This is where a lot of early companies fall is because they had a couple superstar reps. Sometimes it's even the VP. Sometimes it is the VP CRO, like closing all of these deals. So they get to seven, they get to 10, and then they go from 10 reps to 20 reps. And they don't know why that quota attainment goes down. They go from 20 reps 
to 40 reps. And they don't know why things are breaking. Why can't everyone do what Mikel could do? Because you literally, you never documented what it is that made them, right? Like this is the sticking point for a lot of companies to go from 10 to 100 is because they never put these systems in place to get there. So they have a false sense of security of like, oh yeah, like we've been getting to our numbers. Like, mm, mm, getting there. Three to four of your reps are the only reason why, and you have no idea why they're getting there and the rest are not. And then when they scale, it breaks. We're, li we're literally living through this right now in tech. Because you have yeah. a lot of companies that did not scale greatness, they scaled suck, and now they're stuck. I kind of want to transition a little bit because part of it is also kind of keeping, keep delivering consistent performance. And part of that is the rituals you have as a team and the habits you choose to form. And I mean, you've struck me so far as highly analytical and using a lot of numbers to inform decision-making. Again, back to this art uh, science reference. So what are some of the, if you look at building consistent performance, what are some of the rituals, you know, the potential VP sales, the zero needs to make sure on place for the teams? Ooh, I'll take this maybe a different direction. I think one of the biggest is just recognizing behavior as a ritual. Right. So in leadership, we tend to almost always recognize the result. Here's what happened. Way to close that deal. Look, you know, Tony, number one on the board. Way to we recognize the result. One of the most important rituals to get into for leadership is to recognize the behavior. What caused that result? Right. So you can instill the behavior that you're looking for. Right. So we call out all the time good calls, like good disco, good objection handling that sometimes still didn't even turn into a closed deal, right? Because we got to remember in sales, you can do everything right and still lose a deal, right? That's why close rates are 30%, 40, like 60% of those never even close anyway, even if you're doing the right things, right? So we focus heavily on recognizing the behavior, right? Hey, listen to this disco call, the way that Tony asked it not only a second layer question, but a third layer question and got the prospect to explain the impact of the pain. That is exactly what we're looking for. Everyone give this a quick listen. Way to go, Tony. That's a ritual, right? If you can ingrain that from VP to direct, like a lot of my comms, most of my comms with the reps, funny enough, is almost always positive. My managers and directors, they get the, they get the, <laughs> whatever you want to call it from me more for the reps. I'm calling like, I saw, I've heard this. Soraya told me this about your last call. I'll, I'll tell this real quick story. Alba was a recently promoted SDR to AE on my team. And she reached out to me in her SDR certification, right? So to go from SDR to AE, you got to go through an AE boot camp, And the fat, the final stage of it is you have to do like a demo, right? To normally it's the director. And Alba reached out to me. He's like, I want to do my final test with you. I was like, mm, like, let's go. All right. Like I was already fired up. I was like, just that she would even ask me for that. I was like, hell yes. So we do it, right? Does a great job until the very end where she just doesn't ask for the business. She did everything else, like, but she didn't ask for the business. So I did not close. And so she, you know, now so she thinks she's failed, right? I was like, no, you passed. You literally, you just missed this one thing. Everything else was golden, right? She's an AE now. She was the second person to quote her this month, right? Second person to quote her this month. So what do you think my message to Alba was this month, right? So it's her first fall as an AE. She did her certification with me. What do you think my message is to her? It's like, 
way to go. I can see you finally are asking for the sale. <laughs> right? And it's like, it's a running joke now between us. She's like, I, that's the best, worst thing I've ever done. I will never forget that. And it's going to stay with me for the rest of my career. Like I'm very like with the reps, it's like, I hear you're doing these good things. Keep doing the good things. Not I hear you're closing deals, way to go. So recognizing the behavior is a ritual I would highly recommend. You also touched on another behavior that I just want to make sure doesn't go under yet. You said in the one-on-ones, 15 minutes is dedicated to practice. Uh, and then there's another, I think you said half an hour, 45 minutes per manager per week or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's also going into practice, right? You have your quarterly you know, wiggle sessions, I guess, and, and so forth. I mean, all of these things, I think Mikkel and I, we would kind of, we would call those rituals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's to me, you know, it's a system. It's a methodology, mm. right? There's all these sales methodologies. Like I've tried to build a leadership methodology, right? Where it's like, this is the leadership flow that we have to go through because leaders and managers are the biggest leverage point and they get nothing, y'all. Nothing. I know about like the sales training that's out there. Like every two weeks, I'm leading leadership training sessions with my managers. Everything that I'm talking to y'all about today is documented. Mm -hmm. We've got the checklist. We've got the follow through. We've got the what good looks like. The one-on-ones are documented. The scorecards are documented. The issue diagnosis for, so BIPSI is the, the leadership methodology I teach. Behavior, individual process, skill in you. Every single revenue issue is hiding somewhere in BIPSI. You have to go and find it, what's causing it, right? Like all this is documented. This is, you know, funny enough, because I get asked this, you know, pretty odd, like how do I do all the things, right? Like how, how can I take an hour out to do this? It's because I am not physically required to be involved in every granular detail across my org because we've documented what needs to occur. And I can focus on the 10% where it needs some real like nuance, like, dude, we have no idea. Like, we have no idea what's causing this. Can we go figure this out? These are the rituals. These are the cadence. This is the methodology that has allowed me to scale, right? Like this, you know, I'm, I will have now, I'll, I'll knock on wood. This should be my third unicorn, like in a different industry, okay? Scaled at service time, scaled at patient pop, now I'm at bent, like, and it's the systems are what allows for this because when you're trying to go from 20 reps to 100, like it breaks and it breaks so fast if you don't have these systems and rituals in place. I like ritual, that's a good word. I'm gonna start using that. Katie, this was really awesome. And I think all of our listeners will think the exact same, right? We talked about, you know, what great reps look like, but also that, you know, you can't just bank on them. You need to develop folks to get up to the 80% and maybe kind of achieve that. We talked about how you're actually doing this and, you know, wiggle what good looks like, you know, rolling it out the 40s. And now we had what, Blipsy? Bipsy. B-I-E-S-Y, Bipsy. So this was fantastic. And I also love the whole science and art and actually it's just yeah. you know both the same thing people just don't figure this out katie thank you so much for spending the time with us and enlightening our our uh, listeners here i think uh, everyone is going to take something really strong away from this so thanks thanks a bunch yeah, that's good thanks for having me y'all have a good one bye bye, bye.